0: Good evening. Good, evening. Good evening. Thank you for coming. We will continue with our discourse on Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sundarbha. Uh, although we began the 98th Aniceta, just so that we have a full presentation tonight, we'll uh, reread the very beginning of it. Uh, we made it through a couple paragraphs. Uh, Bhag- Bhagavan behaves as if conditioned. Now we're in that part of the Paramatma Sundarva where we're dealing with the impartiality of the Supreme in relationship to the material creation and what exactly is his intention in regards to the material act. That's what this section of the Paramatma Sundarva is dealing with and if you remember It begins by Maharaj's Pariksit's question as to the nature of the Lord's impartiality in relationship to His Leelas. So we're dealing specifically with that that aspect of the Lord entering into the material creation and engaging in Leela and still remaining impartial. Although the Leela in and of itself has its ups and downs, the plus side and the minus side, the winners and the losers, because that's the nature of the material manifestation. There's always this struggle, hard struggle for existence. So when the Lord comes within the material world, he appears to get wrapped up in that struggle for existence. And he appears to take sides and he appears to be influenced. So how are we to understand the nature of his impartiality when we can observe his leela, which appears to be conducted under the influence of the modes of material nature with all of the concomitant reactions of material nature, the winners, the losers, the upside, the downside, the beginning of life, the end of life, and on and on. I mean, it, the material nature is... That one quarter energy of the supreme, wherein the primary takeaway from material, from the material world is death. Unlike the spiritual world, where it's bliss and no fear. This is the place of fear and all auspiciousness. This is the place of everything turns out inauspicious even at the end. How are we to see this? So Bhagavan behaves as if conditioned, is the title for this specific anucheda. Now we're to that point where Sukadeva Goswami is responding to that question of Maharaj Pariksit regarding the Lord's entrance and his, his apparent partiality. Thereafter, in keeping with the inferred meaning discussed in the commentaries of the two previous verses, Sri Suka begins answering the king's question. Although devoid, and now we have a quote from the seventh canto, remember this whole discourse begins at the first verse of this very, of the seventh canto wherein Maharaj Pariksit presented his question. Although devoid of the material gunas, unborn, unmanifest and beyond Prakriti, Bhagavan enters into the gunas of his own maya and assumes the role of oppressor and oppressed. Jiva Goswami comments as follows, Because Bhagavan is beyond Prakriti, he is near guna, devoid of the material gunas. Therefore he is unborn, aja, meaning that he is eternally self-existent. Nityasiddha. Consequently, he is also unmanifest of Yakta, meaning that since he is devoid of a material body, senses and so on, he cannot be revealed by anything or anyone else. This is to say that his body, etc., are self-luminous, Swayamprakash. The idea is that he is thus free from attachment and hatred. Which arise out of the material gunas. So some interesting things here. Jiva's brought out. Uh, He's revealing himself in material nature, but he can't be revealed by us. Now, generally in material nature, we can explore sufficiently to to find out what's going on in. Whatever we want to explore, I mean, we have facilities, we have knowledge acquiring senses, and we can we can go out and we can find you know where's the bottom of the mountain, where's the top of the mountain, where are the streams, where are the brook, you know where are the trees, where are the flower garden, you know we can go out and we can explore. Yeah, Google. We can also <laughs> g- Google it. And stay stay at home and explore. <laughs> so we have ability with within our our current phenomenal existence to root out information and we can go we can take it to a pretty a pretty extreme degree if we're interested in insects we can go to the university we can get a degree in insects we can go to different parts of the world we can go to the you know the 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 middles of the forests, and we can find different species of insects, see how they live, see how one insect eats another. I mean we can take them into our laboratory, we can kill them, we can take a knife, we can cut them open, and see how they what makes them tick. I mean there's a lot there what do we what would we want to find out? What about God? Where do we go? He doesn't fall with so that's the point being made. He doesn't fall within our, our range of inspection. He's outside of our sensory perception. We can't do anything to to search out where he is. We don't know. We we actually have with our senses. Atashri Krishna Navadi Nabavad Indriya. We're not going to be able to see God with these senses. But here he is. He's coming, he's enacting Leelas, he's displaying pastimes for his own reason, but he's beyond sensual perception. So how's that happening? Everything else in the world I can search out within reason and come to a conclusion, and God just shows up on the scene, and he makes himself available to our senses at times, and he's manifest and he's unmanifest. We We have no dominion over that entity, which we call the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So he's above the gunas of material nature. He doesn't fall into our range of sensory perception even. So if we hear that the sages or the yogis or the bhaktas are experiencing or seeing God, it's not because they found him somewhere. It's because he made himself available and gave them... The sensory ability to perceive him. So we're coming into that realm of an understanding of God's interactions within the material world. And we're going to find out that when he executes his Leela, he has to empower every, he has to empower the living entities that with the ability, first of all, to perceive him and that he's having Leela and to themselves have enough power to even engage in any kind of an interaction with him. If he didn't do so, I mean, we they would be overpowered to an extent by his very existence, by his very By the married nomenclature Bhagavan, we understand that he has unlimited wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, renunciation, and not to a degree that we could even measure it if we wanted to. We could never come to an end of any one of those six magnificent qualities which the sages hold forward, but those are just just the tip of the iceberg. If you were to go, he has unlimited potencies, unlimited opulences. We can basically say we can put them into six broad categories. Well, good for us. But really, the, the, it's just unlimited, unlimited opulences of the Supreme. So he cannot be revealed by anything or anyone or any, any endeavor on on our part or anyone's part i mean brahma who is trying to create the universe where did i come from where did this lotus come from there has to be a source cuz that's our nature we want us we're we're inquisitive once we come to the human form of life it's like well, what's going on where did i come from how did i get here why am I like this? Why are you different than me? Why am I different than you? Why are you a female? Why am I a male? Why, 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 why? I mean we don't end with the whys. You know? The whys and the wherefore of everything about us is is the inquisitiveness of our existence. Brahma wanted wanted to know why? Why why am I sitting here in the middle of nowhere? On this flower. I mean, imagine waking up to that existence. I want to know what's going on. So, what did he do? He explored. What did he find? Couldn't find anything. He couldn't, with his senses, and imagine, this is Brahma. This is not, you know, just some typical, you know, Joe down the street, like, me, you and me, you know, this is the creator of the universe. He had a lot of facility, big intelligence, many mystic opulences. He couldn't, couldn't, through all of his endeavors, come to his source. So the point being made here is when we look to the this, this impartiality and this friendliness that that Maharaj Parikshit's inquiring about. He's impartial. He's the benefactor, friendly to everyone. He's the most beloved to everyone. Now when we say this, he's the most beloved, what's that mean? Everyone loves God? Well, if it gets right down to it, if you look, yes, he's the most beloved of everyone. Because all of us have something we love. Ourself, where we come from. Our sense gratification, some aspect of the material energy. I mean, whatever wherever we put our desire to enjoy or exploit or or inquire or whatever is it we're about, wherever our heart is, whether it be towards material acquisition or towards, towards whatever. It doesn't matter. What's the source of that? So when we say God's most beloved, we know he's beloved by his devotees in a particular way, which is love, but when we say he's beloved, like Maharaj Pariksit's saying, he's the most beloved, he's the friend of everyone, and he's he's equal to everyone. These were the three items he brought up in his question to you know, Sukadev Goswami, then we see this partiality. But how is he how is he the most beloved? Well, he's every whatever you could want, he's the one that's providing it. So he is your most beloved, even if you're the atheist that only wants to be you know, the wealthiest man in the universe. Where's that coming from? It's coming from him. So he is the most beloved of every living entity. That, it's an interesting way to look at this is, this, what, this is what it means. And this is what it means to see equally that everyone is truly seeking God. What in, in one form or another, they either want him for himself, which is off the charts. That's that, those personalities we call sadhus that only want God for who God is, not for what he can give us, what he can provide. So generally, our, the approach to the supreme is, We want part of what he's got. So the majority of those that accept that he exists, he's providing for everyone, but for those that accept that he exists, for the majority of those seekers, they want part of the action. So they worship the Supreme in Ishwarya, in his divine opulences, They want to live on the same planet that he's at. They want to have the same powers he has. They want to have his riches. They want to have his fame. They want to have his fortune. And he makes a Vaikuntha. Yes, okay. You can have all these things in relationship to me. It's all right. If you want them without the relationship to me, it's really not possible. But I can make a false Vaikuntha, and we'll call that the material world, and you can have that, because in my Vaikuntha, well, the main ingredient is prem Everyone loves Krishna. Now, some love him because what they can, because of, they love his majesty and his opulences. And some love him because he's the most lovable. So, but everyone, he's he's the supreme lovable object. So that's one of the points that Pariksit was making in his inquiry. So he's coming and he's performing his pastimes. And what's this all about? How is this happening? And Sukhadev's now answering, no, there is no partiality, although it appears when he performs leela, he falls into the gunas, like all the rest of us. And someone's there's some winners, and there's some losers, there's people that love him, there's people that hate him, there's people that he appears to take the side of, and there's the people that take the opposite side. I mean look at the Bhagavatam quickly in your mind, go through all the Leelas, Zip, and what do you see? All these involvements within what appears to be material nature. So, you know, somebody's tying him up. Somebody's. I mean, all of them are in va- everything that is involved there. Draws us in because it's it's within our, cons- the our realm of conceivability. If he came and did things that were beyond our range of conceivability, we couldn't relate with him, just like we were speaking in our last discussion. We relate to him primarily even in the Leelas by the perspective of the devotee that's in the Leela. They're offering prayers, and we're listening and hearing those prayers, and in those prayers, we're we're beginning to appreciate him through the eyes of those that know him best through the eyes of those that love him best, through the eyes that, of those who have experienced them the most. So in that way, we're gaining some, some insight. And we're gaining insight from him, from his side also, as to how he loves his devotees. But primarily, which is the point of the last discussion, Primarily, it's we, we're encouraged by the devotees and, and we can see the interaction. And Krishna is saying like this. And as I said, in, in the Leela, it's like the devotees are saying, "Oh, you're so beautiful. oh, I'm so beautiful, nice. you like the way I look. I'll look nicer for you because I want you to feel good about me because I feel good about your liking me." So, I mean, the whole thing is just an exchange of love. So this whole thing of Leela, now Jiva is really getting down and breaking apart this whole fantastic revelation that the whole creation itself is only done for the sake of exchanging love with the devotees and giving them an opportunity to refine their love to the highest degree and in that refinement of love we have the opportunity as a byproduct of the love for moksha not an objective of the devotees but it comes automatically because there's some advantage there's some full absorption in krishna whether it be in the material world or the spiritual world, does completely dissolve the influence of the external energy. So even the devotees that have completely purified the intent of their worship to the highest degree of unalloyed devotion, their devotion is done in such a way that they're not in the material world. Even though they walk amongst us and we see them, and they, you know, they they they're there and they give us some guidance. Hopefully, for the most part, there's a few budging but mostly there's some outreach there. Ghosty still they're still in ecstasy, but they're they're out their their ecstasy is is out. There's some outreach in it, and sometimes the in-reach takes over and were left sitting there saying, is he ever going to come back and finish the class? The <laughs> kirtan took my guru away. I don't know if he's going to return tonight. <laughs> uh, they keep this hidden for the most part. But don't be, don't be amazed if you experience such things. Although he is, as above described... Bhagavan enters into, or in other words, takes support of the quality corresponding to his own maya, which here refers to his compassion toward his devotees. So the quality that he takes support of specifically refers to the pure and powerful state of unalloyed being, visuddha which is of the nature of all entrancing play. Such is the case because Bhagavan is always manifest with his six divine opulences. Jiva continues, This description too is simply an indicator, meaning that it further entails the following circumstance. At times, on the occasion of his appearance, such as after taking birth from a deity and becoming manifest to the senses of people in the world, he assumes the role of oppressor and oppressed. The Devas and Asuras are extremely insignificant beings who are unworthy even to stand in his line of vision. Well, that's God. I mean, who? it's simply mercy is the point that... And here actually Jeev is going to take the the definition of Maya and not use it in this typical form. And then in these in the as he explains the Lord's advent in Leela, he his use of the word Maya is going to refer to this usage, mercy. So when he enters Maya, it's mercy. It's not the influence of Maya. But in order to produce allies to assist him and enemies to fight with him, he infuses a minute portion of his own power into both of them. And taking shelter of that power, he becomes both the oppressor and the oppressed. So it really looks like he's involved in material nature, but really he's, he's infused nature with his internal Swarup Shakti and he's infused both the suras and the asuras. And we see in the lila of divine play that one side or the other, it, we can't always pick the winner looking at the lila. Because it's leela; It's a play. It's the, you know, so... We don't know who's going to win when we start the, you know, when we enter into the Leela, it's like, well, I don't know what's going to happen here. Who's going to win? Yasoda or Krishna? You know, is Krishna going to run away and keep eating butter and feeding the monkeys or is Yasoda really going to be able to tie him up? She doesn't look like she's doing very well here. She's losing here, you know. Then he, she ties him up and then he runs off into the courtyard and starts pulling down trees. I mean, so we never know this divine play of the Lord, but sometimes he's, he's, he's now he's lost. He's tied up or is he tied up? So he goes and shows, well, if I'm tied up, who could do what I can do when I'm tied up? My mother might be able to tie me up, but hey, I'm the only person that could ever pull down the trees. So it's divine Leela. But it's in correspondence, and these anachetas now that we're coming into are going to show how how this is mystically played out within the material nature in such a way that it conforms to our standard vision of material nature. Sometimes the Suras win, sometimes the Asuras win, sometimes Krishna fights with the Asuras, and sometimes he run, run, runs away in fear. So all this is happening, but it's all happening. Jiva's saying, look, it's all happening because Krishna's infused into the respective modes of nature which are already there and these specific jivas are possessed by. So we know jivas are are prior primarily possessed by specific modes. Primarily. So the Devas are primarily in the mode of goodness. And the Asuras are primarily in the mode of passion. And the demons, the Yakshas, the Rakshaksas, they're primarily in the mode of ignorance. This means... That to make the play of battle more interesting he sometimes infuses more powers into his opponents than he manifests in himself and at that time experiences the condition of being oppressed or defeated. On other occasions, however, he infuses less power prowess into them and so experience the condition of being the oppressor Badaka and or, in other words, the victor. According to the Visva Prakash Dictionary, maya can mean either mercy, kripa, or deceit, damba. Here, although the second meaning, deceit, could also be applied, it is not at all anticipated or relevant to the context, because this section was begun only to show that Bhagavan performs his leela to grace his devotees. And it will will be concluded in the same manner. This, too, is the harmonious conclusion of scripture. Moreover, it is admitted that the Lord conducts his leelas through the agency of a maya that is deceptive in nature. I'm sorry. If it is admitted that the Lord conducts his leela through the agency of a Maya that is deceptive in nature, it will only land us in greater difficulty. We, we. In other words, Jeeva is saying the definition here for Maya is mercy. The Lord is his a merciful dispensation for Him to come and display His His Lila within the confines of the material universes, and to appear to be under the like everyone else, and to take a human-like form or a form that we can relate with uh, to see his exploits. The sense is that because Bhagavan performs his unrestrained leela only for the delight of his devotees and is neither attached nor hateful toward all others, there is no bias in him. Therefore, it is stated that he experiences the conditions of being the oppressed also. In other words, we can't say that he has a bias because sometimes he wins, but he also sometimes loses. Sometimes he engages, and sometimes he runs away. So, you, you, when he engages in Leela, there is, we can see he's, he's, he goes wherever, whatever, wherever, whatever way the Leela goes. So he's, it's not that we can say he's only biased to the, to the saintly, to the suras, to the devas. Sometimes they lose, and he's right there on the battlefield with them, losing along with them. In this way, because Bhagavad manifests his leela through the operations of his own intrinsic potency, Shrup Shakti, it culminates in everyone's benefit implying that Bhagavan's qualities, such as being the well-wisher of all, remains intact. That enters, ends the 98th Aniceta proper. Uh, the concluding paragraph of the commentary is, brings it a fitting conclusion by examples. In a play, even a physically stronger person may be defeated by a weaker person. This does not mean that the defeated person is really inferior in strength or fighting ability. When Kalyavana attacked Krishna, the latter ran away as if afraid of the former. Krishna was bound by the ropes of Mother Yasoda. He also became the chariot driver of Arjuna. When Ravana kidnapped Sita, Rama was weeping and wailing like an ordinary henpecked husband. He took the help of the monkeys to attack Ravana. Vamanadeva approached Bali to beg three steps of land. All these incidents demonstrate how Bhagavan takes the position of a bhajja, bhajja is one who's losing or controlled, one controlled by or inferior to others. This is all his leela for the sake of his devotees. Going on to the 99th Anucheta. Visuddha sattva is different from material sattva. So how is this shakti, his swarup shakti, that he infuses into material nature so he can d- conduct his, his leela? how is it to be looked upon? And how are we to understand it in relationship to the other material modes of, of nature? So now, Jiva is going to go on to the very... He, he brings this out Of the very next verse spoken by Sukadev Goswami to Maharaj Pariksit in response to his inquiry. Jiva begins as follows Why should this guna? He always begins with, he challenges our, he challenges immediately, it's like a challenge. All right, come on. How you know? Let's let's look deeper into this. But to look deeper, we have to say we have to raise an objection. Wait a minute here. You just said that that God comes and He's empowering the suras sometimes and empowering the the asuras and He's sometimes He's just neutral. Sometimes He's the servant. I mean, so how is this? So Jiva begins this Anacheda by saying, Why should this Guna called Visuddhasatva meaning Krishna's sattva, not material sattva, but that supercharged sattva, how should this guna, called Visuddha sattva, not be material? Logical. Logical inquiry. I mean, here you have an energy that's exerting himself, itself within the modes of material na- within material nature. So it's it's like any of the other Shakti's goodness, passion or ignorance. So it's supercharged goodness, but its being its influence is within material nature. So how, why how can you separate it? Doesn't seem fair, does it? Why can't it just be regular sattva? Why do you have to say it's with a suicide? It's just working on it's working within the Lord's external energy, it's exerting its force there, and it's creating a result. So he said, Jesus saying, Well, problem. I don't get it. How is it how is it special? How is it specialer than goodness, passion, or ignorance as we know them? When and where does he, Bhagavad, infuse this superlative potency? Next question. And how is it that, by the influence of his Sutta Sattva, the defect of the disablement of the results of performed karma, Kritahani, and the enablement of the results of unperformed karma, does not accrue. Anticipating all these doubts, Sri Suka speaks the next two verses. All right. We were. Jiva Goswami was asking this question. But is asking this question? This is Jiva. This is the opening of the Anacheda. So these inqu- these doubts are being presented by Jiva Goswami in the Anacheda. These are not part of a verse from the Bhagavatam. So he's bringing up the question himself. But then he's saying that Dave has anticipated these doubts. So. Oh, yes, of course. Or he's, that's what he's drawing out. Uh-huh. Who knows the mind of the spiritual bastard and what he's trying to bring across? But what we know is the nature of the Bhagavatam. And the nature of the Bhagavatam is it in and of itself is self-revealing. I mean, it has the same potency as the Supreme. The different sages, the different worshippers, the different devotees—they're drawing different meanings out. And who knows what was in Sukadev's mind? But we know the Bhagavatam, as relayed by Sukadev, there was no bias in his presentation from a material viewpoint. So that's the nature of the guru; he has no material bias. He does—he doesn't have an agenda. He doesn't want any of these material designations. he wants to to nurture spiritual inquiry on the part of the student. but the Bhagavatam itself is it's a literary incarnation of of the supreme, and the supreme as as the inquiry is coming, then the response is coming. And Krishna, acting as Supreme Book Incarnate Guru, is responding to different inquiries according to the mind of the Inquisitor. You can't really put Bhagavatam in a corner and say, this is a specific meaning. No, these verses have unlimited meanings so this is what jeeva is saying i'm seeing that G, that this response from Sukadev goswami is addressing these questions that i'm putting forward here but the bhagavatam is just answering his inquiries and he's drawing out those meanings and those ne- meanings are nurturing his spiritual understanding and facilitating further a further tasting of rasa between himself and the book Bhagavat. It's dynamic. It's a dynamic thing, the, the Bhagavatam. So we can't really put it in a corner and say, who said, you know... Who? It's just like when the spiritual master, if he comes, he gives, he speaks to an audience, but he speaks to what? They're half of the involvement. Their inquiry is prompting his responses to their their sincerity of heart, their, their interest. The deeper and the more profound their interest, the deeper and more profound his responses are going to be. He has no agenda. He's simply a transparent via media, just like the Bhagavatam is a transparent via media. But they're not a static via media. They are as dynamic as the Supreme himself. This one question, we'll just touch on this and then we'll continue in the next discourse because it could be a little confusing. And how is it that by the influence of Vasudha Sattva, which would be the Swarup Shakti, the defect of, so we say, how is it that the defect of this disablement of the results of performed karma and the enablement of the results of unperformed karma does not accrue? How are you adding the ingredient of the Swarup Shakti in the form of Visuddha purified goodness, into The material mix and not gumming up the works of karma is basically the question. How is that happening? How is it that this is going on seamlessly and the results that the devas should receive in relation to their actions within the material world and the results that the asuras should receive from their actions are not being thrown in a tailspin by the interaction of the Lord's Vasudha when he engages in Leela within the material realm. It certainly looks like when you bring God in the picture, everything the the waves should part you should be able to walk you know through the sea or you should be able to rock on, walk on rocks to the to the island and you can but how's that happening and not interfering with what is it the disablement of the results of performed karma they 're not being disabled perform the results of performed karma are not being disabled is what it's saying so your still going on. the karma is still going on of the of the other participants and the enablement of the results of unperformed karma unperformed karma you're getting results that you didn't deserve you didn't perform the necessary activity to give you a positive result. So how is it that those things are not thrown out of whack when you add this other internal potency and in in because of the, the Lord's advent and engagement in Lila within the modes of material nature. It does not accrue. The defect of those two things does not accrue. Karma is not disabled, and the results, good results of good karma, are, are not disabled. They're kept intact, mystically, even during the Lord's Leela. Anticipating all these da- doubts, Sri Suka speaks the next two verses. The first verse we'll read and we will conclude with, Sattva, Rajas, and Thomas are the qualities of Prakriti and not of the self. Their decline or growth, O King, does not occur simultaneously. Their decline in birth does not occur simultaneously. Sometimes goodness takes the upper hand, sometimes passion, sometimes ignorance. Krishna confirms that in the Bhagavad Gita. So, any questions? I'm just trying to understand this last point. So the Lord mystically maintains all good and bad karmic results that you have coming to you, even though He's bestowing... Even though He's coming in and He's making the suras stronger and He's making the asuras stronger in order that they can engage in His leela, He's he's increasing the, the sattva of the Sura, I mean of the, of the Devas, and he's increasing the, the Rajas of the Asuras so that they can engage in the Uh Leela, but he's doing it in such a way that it's not interfering with those natural qualities that are there. He's just supercharging them so that he can perform his Leela, we could say. Okay. So it's not like it's switching off. No, it's not like the material world stops when God comes. And it's temporary while he's performing his leelas, and then after he leaves. He's got to clean things up, doesn't he? The Yadus had to go. Why? Because they came to relieve the burden of the earth, but being there, what were they? They were, a burden. They were the burden of the earth. So he had to remove that they were empowered. His Shakti was there, the power of his internal potency. They were part of his his dom. They were members of his entourage. So they had to go before he went. Otherwise, they would have wrecked havoc on that little earth with little the little potencies of goodness and passion and ignorance. These are empowered associates of the Lord to just be in the presence of the Lord, even the typical what the, as as Jeevas pointed out here, even the typical surahs or asuras they can't stand before them. They have to be empowered themselves in their own modes just to participate. Thank you so much for your association.